0: Morning. Hi, my name is uh, Joey Thompson. I'm uh, one of the elders here at Summit Crossing. Um, as I awkwardly said last week, if you remember, I might wear a mask this week. Um, no, I'm I'm not the guy who does this every week. Uh, Jamie Nettles is our lead teaching elder. He is uh, still away in Nepal, so we continue to ask that you uh, remember him in prayer as he as he uh, works in that mission. Um, but I'm one of the elders here and I occasionally have the, the joy and opportunity to be able to bring the word and so I'm looking forward to that today. It's going to be a slightly, as you can see with a table and a chair, and all. it's going to be a slightly different sort of approach this morning uh, to, to the teaching time, the preaching time. I, I really, even two, three weeks ago as I was studying the text for last week and this week, I really just felt led that this week needed to be more like a teaching moment than a preaching moment. Um, and it's uh, good that, that, that that's happening because I'll be honest with you, last week's uh, impassioned sermon did do a little bit of a number on my head, so it's going to be a little more relaxed um, uh, this week. So some of you know what I'm talking about there. Um, so if you remember from last week a little bit, uh, the Pharisees uh, had interpreted Old Testament law, if you remember, um, through their own bias, right? Right? They had a they had a hatred for the Gentiles uh, that caused them to think of the Gentiles as defilement, and so they read the Old Testament law and say Leviticus 15 about washing uh, of the hands and things to pre- washing off the defilement to prevent the spread of disease, and they treated those Gentiles as if they were the disease. And so, if you were to brush into a Gentile in the marketplace, you need to wash. Uh, off the defilement before eating and things like that, and accused uh, Jesus' disciples of not doing so. So if you'll remember that from last week, um, they interpreted the Scripture through their own bias. And this resulted in them neglecting and setting aside the commandment of God for the doctrines or precepts of men. That was kind of the push last week. And I... Think as we look at the two texts this morning, I say two texts, the two stories this morning, uh, I want to take some time to think through how we may do the very same thing. We, at times, no, not at times, we most of the time, when we come to the scripture, interpret scripture through our own life experiences. We interpret Scripture through our own cultural understandings or or maybe even through our own feelings. As a matter of fact, we, we ask most of the time all of the wrong questions when we come before the Scriptures. We ask things like, what does that mean to you? Now you're thinking, whoa, 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 that's not the wrong question. That's what we're supposed to ask, right? We're supposed to understand what the Scriptures mean to us. Well, we ask the question, what does that mean to you? As if it could mean something different to every single one of us. That the Scriptures might have as many different meanings as there are people. Or maybe we don't ask, how does that, what does that mean to you? Maybe we ask, how does that make you feel? What does that make you think about God? These are all the wrong questions that we ask the Scriptures. Because what it does is it puts us in the position of authority over the Scriptures, and we get to determine what it means to us. We get to determine how it makes us feel. We get to determine what it's teaching about God. These are all the wrong questions. We start with our own experience, we start with our own culture, we start with our own feelings and push the scriptures through our filter. This morning I want to talk about how, that's obviously what we learned that the Pharisees did last week, but I want to talk about the fact that we ought not allow life to be the filter for scripture, but rather we should allow the scriptures to be the filter for our lives we should understand our life's experiences through the filter of Scripture. All too often, we let ourselves understand Scripture through the filter of our life experiences. And that is backwards. And so, I'm going to try this morning uh, to take some time to use this text this morning, these two miracle stories, uh, to help us see kind of how to approach the Scriptures. That is help us see perspectives that must be considered when studying the Scriptures. And the Gospel of Mark is going to be unique in that sense, and you'll see that in a moment. But there are several different perspectives that we have to consider if we want to know what the Scriptures mean. I'd like to use this text this morning to show an example of how Peter filtered his life experiences through the work and words of Christ. Now you may be thinking wait a minute i don't remember seeing peter anywhere in this morning's text we'll talk about why i'm using peter as the example in just a moment and then also today i'd like to use this text to teach how yes obscure miracle stories witnessed in the third not century the third decade right Obscure miracle stories witnessed in the third decade that were preached audibly in the fourth, fifth, and sixth decades and then finally recorded by Mark for us in the seventh decade can be properly applied to the 21st century reader. They're not just mythical stories for sure. They're not just historical stories either. They do apply in the 21st century as long as we properly approach the scriptures and mine the meaning out of scripture rather than forcing meaning upon it. Do you see the difference? And so I'd like to do that this morning and try to use this text for that. I hope that it works. Um, otherwise i 'll do something different in the eleven, I guess. <laughs> so considering perspectives, right Mark, the Gospel of Mark is very unique, I think, in the sense that uh, we have at least at least four different perspectives that we have to look at this text through. every text that you read in the book of Mark, you should really think about four different perspectives that you have to approach the book of Mark. first, of course is the perspective of the 21st century reader. It has to be considered. If we don't consider our own perspective, we may fall prey to letting our perspective sway the meaning. For example, Jesus calls her a dog. Now, if you take your 21st century meaning of the word dog in the defamatory sense of the word, you might think Jesus is being extremely rude to her. How many of you might say that to a female co-worker tomorrow at work? I don't think so, right? And so if you bring that 21st century understanding to this text, you might be way off base. We'll find out. Jesus is not necessarily being rude in this moment as we look later on. We have to not only consider our own perspective and and filter it out, but we have to consider, of course, Mark's perspective, right? Mark's the author, Right, He's the one writing. So when you come to the text, you have to think, what is in the mind of the author of this text? There's the meaning. That's what we're going for. What is in the mind of Mark? And what is in the mind of the original reader of the book of Mark? So let's ask ourselves the question, what, why did Mark sit down and write? Mark wrote primarily his gospel to make this Affirmation Jesus is God. That's that's really what Mark is trying to accomplish. It's different than the other gospels, although they share many of the same stories with different emphases, right? Matthew is trying to make the point Jesus is the Messiah. That is, Jesus is King. Matthew opens his gospel by saying, Talking about Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, king of the Jews. He goes on to give us a genealogy of Christ that goes all the way back to Abraham, right? And so we know that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is king. Mark, many people tell us, doesn't even give us a genealogy. I dare say he may have. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's the genealogy that Mark provides for us. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And he tells us all these miracle stories, miracle story after miracle story, and what he's trying to accomplish in the mind of the listener and his original hearer, his original reader, was Greco-Roman Gentiles. He's writing in Rome who had many gods. And he's trying to convince them Jesus is the one true God. As a matter of fact, he's, his authority and his dominion extends over the demons as he casts out demons. His authority and dominion extends over the weather as he calms the seas. His authority and dominion extends over. His authority and dominion extends over. He's doing this again and again and again. And I won't rehearse the whole book of Mark as we've gone through it, but that's what he's been doing all along is showing us different pieces of our lives where Jesus' authority and dominion extends. And he's basically making the point, Jesus is God. We have to keep that perspective in mind as we read these stories. Now, I think we have to keep Peter's perspective in mind as we read these as well. Why? Peter was the apostle who was present with Christ in his earthly ministry, who Mark later joins in his missionary activity as he does mission there in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world for Peter. Yes, he went to Caesarea and he did all of that but he also extended his ministry into Asia and into Rome. And so Mark is with Peter, and Mark is listening to Peter preach the gospel everywhere he goes. And what Mark does in the 60s, the seventh decade, is he records for us the teachings of Peter. And so we have to ask ourselves as well another perspective. Why did Peter, in his preaching ministry, in his missionary efforts, put these stories together? That'll help us. And then, Finally, uh, the perspective that we have to remember of course is the perspective of the original observers of the historical episode. Right? This is the real story that happened in history. There really was a Syrophoenician woman and there really was this man in Decapolis who Jesus healed. There really was this Syrophoenician woman who had a daughter who Jesus cast out a demon from a distance. And so we have to take into account the perspective of the people who lived the story in the moment. We're going to try to do some of that. We're not going to be able to do it all. I'm going to kind of race through some of it to help us understand how we approach the Scriptures so that we can avoid setting aside the command of God for the doctrines and precepts of men, so that we can learn to filter our life experiences through Scripture rather than filtering Scripture through our life experiences so let's take Peter Peter's life experience of course is broad he's there with Jesus but later on he after Pentecost after they are preaching to the the masses and the spirit is poured down on them Peter later on is the first person to preach the gospel directly to the Gentile Cornelius and if you remember the story what happens in Acts chapter 10 is Peter is away from him and he he sees this sheet coming down. You remember? And on this sheet were all these different animals and birds and such. And and the voice would tell him that take and eat. And and if you remember, what Peter said, no way. I'm not going to take and eat because I have never eaten anything unclean. And three times this happens and, and the Lord is telling him, do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And thus... He declared all foods clean in the life and experience of Peter. Immediately after the vision, these people show up to to the house where Peter is and says, we've been sent by Cornelius who saw a vision, and he's asked us to come get you. And Peter leaves with them, goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a a Roman soldier, right? He is a Greek, And, and Peter comes in and he preaches the gospel to a house full of Gentiles. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And at the end of it, Peter says, Who can deny them baptism? Because they have received the same Spirit we have received. This was earth-shattering to Peter's mind. Because in his mind, he was just like the Pharisees in a certain sense. In that he had grown up his whole life thinking that the Gentiles were not the people of God. The Jews were the people of God. This was earth-shattering for him, but in his life experience, he saw a sheet by which God declares all foods clean, saying, anything I've called clean, do not call unclean, and immediately thereafter, in his own life experience, the gospel is taken to the Gentiles by him. Right? Right? Peter continues to struggle with this idea of the Gentiles receiving the gospel. And we see that in Galatians chapter 2. When, and he is there with the Gentiles, if you remember. And, and he's sitting with the Gentiles. But the scriptures say that, that some came from Jerusalem, let's say, from James. And, and these Jews came up. And when the Jews came, Peter separated himself from the Gentiles and wouldn't sit with them anymore. Right? Paul rebukes him sternly for doing so. But that gives evidence to us that even after, even though he was the one that God used to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he himself still struggled with the idea of the Gentiles becoming a part of the kingdom of God. He didn't know how to grapple with that, and so he must have continued to struggle with that concept in his mind. So how did he finally work it out? I propose that Jesus... That Peter came to terms with the idea of the Gentiles receiving the gospel and becoming a part of the kingdom of God by filtering that life experience through his evidence of the work and words of Christ. And he went around preaching it. We know it now as Mark chapter 7. Compare, if you will, that Acts chapter 10, verse 13, 14, and 15. The scripture says, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, that's Peter's life experience in Acts chapter 10. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 18. We, said, we saw this last week. And he said to them, Jesus, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him since it enters his heart? Since it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Then Peter in his preaching, adds this parenthetical. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Matthew doesn't give us that when Matthew tells us this story. Peter does. Peter recognized that when Jesus was saying this, Not only is he saying this about the Gentiles, but he's saying he has declared all foods clean. And he remembers, as he's preaching this, his own life experience of the sheet where God declared all foods clean. The very next thing that happens in Acts is Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Let's compare that. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, listen, he is Lord of all. Peter says this after he sees Cornelius and his household. The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. Compare that to Mark chapter 7, verse 26. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Look at the next uh, story here in verse 31 and 32. Mark chapter 7. 31 and 32. If you can pull that one up for me. Maybe. I can read it from here. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf. So this man was brought from this region of the Decapolis. It doesn't straightforwardly say that he's a Greek here, but if you know anything about the first century, Decapolis was a region saturated by Gentiles. So right after the story of Jesus declaring all foods clean about this washing of hands as Peter preaches, he follows that up with these two stories of Jesus healing two Gentiles. Peter struggled with the idea of his own life experience, of the sheet declaring all foods clean and the Gentiles then being made clean by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way he worked it out is by filtering that experience through the work and work of, the word and work of Christ, remembering that Jesus declared all things clean, all foods clean, in that washing story, and he followed it up with the teaching of Jesus healing Gentiles so let me encourage you to filter life's experience through the work and word of Christ that is filter your own life experience through the scriptures rather than filtering the scriptures through your own experience So let's try to do this 21st century we're looking at these two stories as they have been recorded by Mark, preached by Peter, and lived and experienced by those in the life and times of Jesus. Three things I want us to catch that I believe the text is teaching, and I'll try to do it from as many of these perspectives as time allows, these three things. Remember, Mark's whole point is to say Jesus is God, right? And so three things I think we see in, the, in these two stories is, one, the authority and dominion of Jesus extends over all people groups. That's the first thing. The second thing, the authority and dominion of Jesus deserves respectful submission and humility. And then the third thing, the authority and dominion of Jesus does not exclude his personal compassion. Let's walk through it. The authority and dominion of Jesus extends over all people groups. Here in the historical moment, I've already described that this is a Jesus taking his kingdom and his kingdom authority over Gentiles, right? It's a foreshadowing glimpse if you will and we've seen these foreshadowing glimpses throughout the Old Testament you, you may even remember a story similar to this that happened in a similar place in geography with the prophet Elijah when there was going to be a famine in the land it was a gentile woman, a gentile widow who was concerned for her son that Elijah was called to provide meal. An unending supply of meal. That occurred in this same region. It was a Gentile. And so we've seen these glimpses throughout the Old Testament that, yes, the authority of God extends over even the Gentiles, but here is Jesus, the Son of God, in real time and space, extending His good grace and authority over Gentiles. It is this foreshadowing glimpse He's doing it again, not only with the Syrophoenician woman, but with the man who is born both deaf and mute, could not hear nor speak, and Jesus performs this miracle. From Peter's perspective, what is his purpose, remember? He is rehashing in his mind that yes, not only is Jesus' Jesus's authority and dominion extended there, but My goodness, the gospel extends to the Gentiles. He's not only showing that he has authority over them, but he's showing that he has compassion on them. You know, because authority can go both ways, right? And my children are pretty aware of that, that authority is not always a good thing, right? Did you know that God's authority extends over your life? Good or bad or indifferent, right? It extends over your life. It may extend over your life in punishment. It may extend over your life in good grace. But his authority. So, Mark is making the point that Jesus is God and his authority extends over the Gentiles. Peter is making the point that the gospel extends, that Jesus' compassion extends even to the Gentiles. So, how are we to understand those things? ourselves today, rooting out our own life experience and rooting out the fact that we may think that Jesus um, did something rude. And we we can begin to look at this and say, Christ's authority extends over our lives. Whether we confess and believe or not, Jesus is still God. That is what we can learn from this text. That's what Mark intends us to learn from this text. He says this this Jesus came not only to be king of the Jews, yes, but he came to show that he is God, that his authority and dominion extends even over the Gentiles, that is, even over you. You fall under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to take from this text. Jesus really is God and then in in verse 36 in these two stories we get this confusing comment from Jesus after he heals the man who was deaf and after he he um, heals the man who was mute he says and Jesus charged them to tell no one but of course the more he charged them the more zealous they proclaimed it. that's confusing isn't it why would you tell him I'll tell anybody I mean Okay, we can laugh for just a moment. There's a little irony here. I think maybe intended irony here. The man was mute. Jesus heals him so that he can now speak. And Jesus says, but don't tell anybody. And the more he said don't tell anybody, the more it was told. Now, some might say from our 21st century perspective, if you just read this text And didn't think about what was going on here and and the historical situation and all those things. And we just said, what does this mean to you? How does this make you feel? You might say in some Freudian sense that Jesus is using reverse psychology here to, to motivate them into the work of evangelism. You know, I don't think Jesus was a liar or a manipulator. And so I will stand against such interpretations all day long. It's not what Jesus is doing here. We may think it because we're so influenced by modern-day psychology and all of that stuff, but that's not what's in the mind of Mark or of Peter or certainly of Jesus. Jesus understood that his ministry, and you look at the beginning of the book of Mark, and it's told to you that his ministry and his life and in his incarnation was to proclaim that he is the King of the Jews, right? That he's come as the Messiah and that there is this messianic secret that some have termed it that is not going to be revealed until after his death, burial, and resurrection and in Pentecost that this Messiah came for all the earth, that all peoples will be called, that all tribes and all tongues and all peoples will be a part of the kingdom. That messianic secret Is still to be revealed and so Jesus is not saying I'm gonna tell you don't say anything to anybody but I know you're gonna so I'm gonna manipulate you into going and spreading the news about me no he's giving us the clue in the sense that he understands his role that he in some ways yes the messianic secret had some limitations on him during his incarnation but what we learn from this is that though there was a messianic limitation, we know now that the Great Commission compels us to tell all peoples. And so we see this glimpse of that even in the text. That, that we understood Jesus' role and limitations in His incarnation to be, a, be, be, be offered as the King of the Jews, right? And to present Himself as King of the Jews, and that this messianic secret would come later, but we see in the work of this man who was healed that the gracious work of Christ compels us to speak. Jesus wasn't manipulating him, and Jesus is not going to manipulate you. But if you have experienced the gracious work of Christ unto your healing from the, sickness of sin, then you too will be compelled to take this message to all peoples. That's what we learn. His authority and dominion extends over all people groups. And if you've experienced it, then you're compelled to share it with any and all. The next thing, the authority and dominion of Jesus deserves respectful submission and humility. Let's look at this Syrophoenician woman. In the historical moment, she shows gracious submission, doesn't she? Yes, Jesus says to her that she is a dog. What do we mean? What did he mean? Now, this term, this word was the common word used to refer to Gentiles by the Jews. It didn't mean anything about her appearance, and it didn't mean anything necessarily defamatory. It was just the common word used to distinguish Jew from Gentile in their day. And so really what Jesus is saying is that he is not there to declare this gospel, to share this gospel, uh, kingdom with the Gentiles yet messianic secret, right? That the She could have certainly taken it as an insult. You might say rightly so if she had taken that as an insult. How, what did she do? Her reply is brilliantly submission submissive. Some may think it's witty, right? As a matter of fact, we take our 21st century model and our own way of thinking and the way that we are um, uh, prize witty comebacks, right, and the way we are sarcastic in our speech. You might think that's what she's doing here when she says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Is this a witty, sarcastic comeback? No. No. She's not the hero here. If this was a witty, sarcastic comeback that convinced Jesus to change his mind, that makes her the hero. And of course, we in our 21st century minds love the Cinderella stories, we love the underdog, and we love to celebrate heroes. And so, we might want her to be the hero. So we would map our own experience and our own cultural norms onto the text and celebrate her response. But that's not what's happening here. The truth is, she, by grace, in this language, we know that she, by grace, somehow understood the place of Gentiles in God's plan. She understood the place of Gentiles in the plan of redemption She understood that the time was not now, but that the time was coming. She somehow, by God's grace, showed her the understanding of this messianic secret in this moment, and she replies humbly, accepting God's purpose, yes, I agree, Lord. It is not my place to receive of your goodness. It is not my place to be at the king's table. Not yet, Lord. But please, may I, this dog, eat of the crumbs that fall from Israel's table. This describes the whole ministry of Paul, does it not? Paul went to the Jews first in every city to proclaim the good news, and upon their rejection, turn to the Gentiles. Somehow, by God's grace, she understood that. And she doesn't have a witty, sarcastic response that convinces Jesus to say, touche, sure, I'll take care of you. No. She by faith responds with agreement. Yes, Lord, I am but a dog but please may I eat the crumbs that fall from your children's table. We can learn a lot from that. Peter, of course, in his purpose in preaching these things, he, he compares, in his mind, probably the, the I propose, the, the, the Pharisees' priority of tradition, right, to Peter's priority of the words of Christ. You see, the Pharisees' priority of tradition that we turned about learned about last week, they, they put themselves in authority over the Word of God, the law. They put themselves in position of authority. But here the Syrophoenician woman puts herself in the position of submission to the words of Christ. The call this morning is, which will you do? Will you put yourself in authority over the Word and force it to be interpreted in accordance with your feelings? Or will you put yourself under its authority and humbly submit? I race ahead to the 21st century application. That's the, that's the way we must approach the Scriptures. My clock is ticking down, I have much more I'd like to do, I'm going to do one more, but I thought last night that as we were entering into the seventh overtime and I was wanting to go to sleep, I thought, how many people are still watching this game because we just love overtime games, so surely you won't complain if I go into overtime this morning, right? Because you will love preaching over time much more than mere football overtime, right? You, All right, thank you. So, the authority and dominion of Jesus deserves respectful submission and humility. We must sit under the authority of the Word rather than over it. Finally, the authority and dominion of Jesus does not exclude His personal compassion. Again, let's look at the historical moment. In verse 24 of this story, Jesus has said often of him as he moves from place to place is that he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not be hidden. First of all, let's, let's understand that Jesus, while he is God and while he is king of the Jews, as Mark and Matthew make clear, he is also exactly what Luke tells us too. Luke tells us Jesus was a man who lived in history. That's why he tells us he's a historian, Luke does. I'm a historian. I'm going to try to give you an orderly account. And his chronology, I mean, not chronology, his uh, genealogy goes all the way back to Adam to say Jesus is a man. Jesus was a man. And he felt all of the limitations of his incarnation in the flesh, and he desired sometimes to escape the multitudes who were constantly demanding from him more and more compassion. And it must have been draining on his humanity. And so Jesus desired to go into this house and no one know he was there that's his desire but his authority and dominion does not exclude his personal compassion because look what happens right the syrophoenician woman comes and demands compassion on her daughter who's not even present the multitudes again are pressing in he could not be hidden Now, his authority and his dominion could have demanded his privacy. His authority and dominion could have gone into the ivory tower. As a matter of fact, his authority and dominion somehow, by some miraculous way, could have closed the doors and prevented them from being opened, kind of like the ark in the days of Noah. He could have secured his privacy if he desired it enough, I guess. He had that authority. But his compassion sacrificed that desire for privacy. And he engaged personally with the Syrophoenician woman. And he engaged personally with the deaf and mute Man, look at verse 33. Think about the personal nature with which Jesus performed this miracle. Wanting to be left alone, kept moving from place to place, says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. Put his fingers into his ears. And for some reason, after spitting, touched his tongue. People Try to come up with all kinds of reasons of why he touched his ears, why he touched his tongue, and all those things, and and you know, did this communicate uh, to the people around? Because this is the way that other healings would have happened in their area, in their region. All they try to think, and, and, and get beyond all of that. I think it's very simple. The man couldn't hear. He couldn't talk. And so Jesus communicated on a very private and personal uh, nature with this man. He didn't say to him like he would say to to the lame man, stand up and walk, because the lame man could hear him. He reached out and he touched his ears, very personally. He said, I know you can't hear by his touch. I know. You want to say something to me, but you can't. So he touched his tongue. Miraculously, as he declares to him, be opened. Those were the first words the man heard. It's like Jesus very personally and privately said, I'm about to do this for you. Pay attention. He's saying, listen to me. Touching him in the ear. What do you mean, listen to me? I can't hear. Just listen to me. Use your ears. I'm about to say something that you are going to hear. And you're going to be able to respond to me with your tongue. And you're going to speak. It's like he very personally shows compassion. In a moment when he really just wanted to be alone. Mark and Peter both are just reiterating and reiterating and reiterating that this God-man passionately pursues us with His compassion. This God-man, with His great compassion, though He wants to be alone, He extends His authority and dominion over us in compassionate ways and sacrifices His own desire for privacy. So how do we Take this. We must learn from this text that the primary characteristic of Christ by which He pursues us, the primary characteristic of Christ by which He pursues us is His compassion. When this thought first crossed my mind many years ago, it was wrecking to my life. Because you see, I thought maybe... Christ pursued me because I came from a good family. I thought maybe Christ pursued me because I had something to offer. I thought maybe Christ pursued me because I was one of the cool kids, even though all the cool kids disagreed with that. But I thought I was. No. Christ pursued me out of compassion. Why? Because I was needy, because I was helpless, and because His authority and dominion made it possible. Do you know that Christ pursues you because you are needy? Do you know that Christ pursues you because you are truly helpless? And do you know that His authority and His dominion Extends even to you so that he might show you compassion. And so I say this while the scriptures aren't to be interpreted through our own personal lenses so that we can come up with all sorts of different meanings, you know, and ask the question, How does this make you feel? as if there is no wrong answer. We're not to interpret the Scriptures through our own personal lens, do not let that make you think that Christ is not personal. For Christ's relationship with us through His Word is of a very personal nature. As long as we humbly submit ourselves to it, we will find that He very personally engages us the true meanings of his word by his authority and dominion as long as we understand that the meaning is what was in the mind of the original author heart of the original hearer or reader we understand that meaning as applied to our 21st century lives when we do that Scripture's come alive in a beautiful, holy way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give us an opportunity to just sit under its teaching and be amazed by how these events that occurred in history in your lifetime during your incarnation preached by Peter in the first half of the first century and then finally recorded by Mark and then preserved for us throughout the ages can be so powerfully impactful on our lives I pray that we would learn this morning that your authority and dominion extends over us and that that would motivate us to all peoples I pray father this morning that we would learn that your authority and dominion extends over us. Not only would that propel us to all peoples, but Father, that would cause us to rest submissively and humbly under your word. Father, I pray that we would understand that your authority and dominion extends over us and that that would cause us to rest in the knowledge of your compassion and personal pursuit of us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.